Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, February 10th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, the medical malpractice debate comes to a head in the Iowa legislature. The debate over books in schools continues, and said books in schools debate is joined by a fairly high-profile out-of-stater. Hello, I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Good morning. Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Hello, Caleb. Good morning, Aaron. We have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Greetings, Jared. Aaron, I'm uh, fresh off a four-day uh, darkness retreat. My, uh, my mind is clear and my, uh, my takes are sharp. That's good. So we'll know by the end of the podcast whether you're going to retire yes. or play another year. Then. Yes. All right. And then finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Hello, Todd. Good morning. All right. First up this week, the Iowa legislature, uh, more specifically Republican Iowa legislators, approved caps on non-economic damages for jury awards in mel- medical malpractice cases. The new law will cap non-economic damages at $2 million for cases involving a hospital's error and a million for cases involving a doctor's error. Uh, It is important to note here that the caps are only on non-economic damages. Um, Economic and punitive damages remain uncapped. Uh, As we've said here in, in previous podcasts, this was an interesting and at times emotionally charged debate. Um, Generally speaking here, supporters argued the caps are needed to protect the financial viability and physician recruitment at Iowa's hospitals and other healthcare facilities. Uh, Opponents likened the caps to placing a monetary value on human life, and they cast doubts on whether the caps will achieve the bill's stated goals. Uh, Caleb, you and I listened to the floor debate in the Iowa House and Senate this week, and, and there were some pretty... Uh, supercharged moments. Uh, tell us about the ones that you were over in the house. Tell us about the ones that stood out to you there. Yeah, one thing that um, kind of just generally stood out was how many lawmakers have a personal connection to this issue, and they, you know, told those stories on the floor, um, having gone through processes with family members themselves or friends, um, and that was, you know, uh, maybe mostly, uh, most prominently seen with uh, Representative Ann Meyer, who led the bill in the House, um, told the story that tragically she had a son that passed away at five years old because of a medical error. Um, and she was, uh, but, but she was speaking for the bill. So she kind of used that and said, you know, she was angry at the time and said no amount of money can make up for that loss. But she said the bill is needed to um, improve healthcare access in Iowa, bring stability to the market. And then um, a a pretty supercharged moment kind of following that, um, Representative Brian Meyer was asking her questions during floor debate and was kind of challenging the notion that this will improve healthcare access in the state. And he uh, accused her, like others have done, you know, people who oppose this, saying that she's putting a value on human life. Um, And she denied that. and, And he said, you know, if this isn't putting a value on human life, then what is it? And she said, it's bringing stability to the market. And uh, he said something to the effect of, you know, bring stability to the market when your child is dead, that's awfully cold. And uh, it was it was very, it, it's hard to kind of Oof. recreate the energy in that uh, reading in the transcript. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. people were, uh, people noticed and, and, and people looked shocked. So yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I, it wasn't super clear if he was saying, 
trying to say it like as a hypothetical, but he was, you know, speaking to Representative Ann Meyer, who had just told the story. So it was, yeah. Um, and then you know, another moment would be um, Mark Cisneros um, speaking. He kind of uh, slammed the leadership of uh, the Republican Party. He's a Republican himself. He opposed it um, and kind of portrayed the bill as a uh, handout to multi-million dollar corporations and, you know, giving a break to these insurance companies and big hospitals. Uh, and he kind of said, you know, you can go against leadership, nothing's stopping you from voting against this bill, and was was being pretty critical of them. So yeah, those were a couple of the, of the moments that stood out to me. Yeah, and, and the Cisneros thing illustrates, it's a good, a, a good example of uh, the interesting political bedfellows that this bill ultimately created. And when you look at the votes in both the House and the Senate, you essentially had, um, and, and Tom and Caleb, check me if I'm wrong on this, only all Democrats voted against it. There were no Democrats that ended up voting for it. Is that correct? Or am I wrong about that? Ken Crokin. Uh, that's Crokin. right. One, I'm sorry. That's right. We, and we had that in our story. Now you mentioned that Ken Crokin in the house was the lone Democrat in either chamber who voted for it. Um, so mostly Democrats were against, but it wasn't all Republicans for it. Um, so you had most Republicans for it and then voting against it were Democrats and and I don't whatever term, however you want to categorize these, but the the maybe most socially conservative Republicans joined Democrats in opposing this over of what we just described there. You know their their assertion that this was you know essentially placing a, a monetary value on life, and, and that's where they were coming at. So it was very interesting to see you know all Democrats voting in line with some of the most uh, conservative Republicans uh, in, in the chamber. It was kind of fascinating that way. Yeah. With the, um, with the medical malpractice stuff, uh, just for like the delegation of new, like Siouxland legislators, not, not all of them, just the new ones. Um, there was a division even there. Um, we have seven new guys this term and four of them voted in favor of the, it. And three of them voted against it, including two Republicans and then JD Schulten, who's the only Democrat of the, the right. newbies. So yeah, even the legislators in a part of the state that's about as politically homogenous as possible, there wasn't anywhere close to consensus. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was fascinating. Um, and then over in the Senate, I think maybe one of the more uh, when things started to escalate a little bit was uh, when a couple different Republicans. Um, part of what got us here on this debate are, are some recent um, really big dollar. Uh, jury awards in some medical malpractice cases in the last couple of years. And those were brought up and referred to by a couple of Senate Republicans as uh, lottery type winnings. And uh, that, that got um, uh, a few Democrats upset. Uh, and I don't look at, I, I, I you, as a journalist, you don't ever, you know, assume intent uh what was the saying caleb we were just talking about press row on press row yesterday that lyle muller's saying yeah you, you can't ever say that somebody thought something or believes thinks or believes something uh because you don't know you have to say they only, said they believe it. only what they say yeah 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 um so I, I acknowledge i'm getting a little bit into that and I, uh when i say that i don't think that the the republicans who are making that case are arguing that these people feel in any way like they won the lottery but that is the language they chose to use um, when they describe the size of these um, 
jury awards and ooh that that upset a couple uh, of their colleagues on the other side and and they uh, heard about it uh, you know really uh, lashing out at the idea that the folks who are uh, have received these rewards are in any way lottery winners uh, they said as a um, gross mischaracterization uh, so so like I said uh, very very fascinating politically interesting very emotionally charged debate and Tom we may get to do it all over again before too long here uh, because state lawmakers are gearing up for round two with similar legislation dealing with liability protections for the commercial trucking industry. Um, might that debate sound similar to this one? And do you have a sense yet of whether that one will pass for the the legislative geeks in the room? Uh, that was the bill that uh, failed on the on the House floor in a very unusual moment uh, last year. Do you have any sense of whether they have the votes this year, Tom? You know, I don't. Um, I think that one is going to be very interesting. Um, we'll probably see a, a similar debate, you know, similar arguments to what um, we saw with the medical malpractice bill. Um, you know, they'll talk about how these uh, caps for non-economic damages, you know, pain and suffering, um, things that... Um, proponents of the medical malpractice bill argue are, um, you know, not quantifiable um, as opposed to the um, economic and punitive uh, damages that aren't capped. Um, and, and because of not having the cap for these non-economic damages, they argue have led to these quote unquote nuclear verdicts, um, like the $97 million verdict um, in the medical malpractice case out of, um, out of Iowa city. But, um, in, in, and so with the trucker liability bill, you know, they're going to argue that much like the medical malpractice, this is needed to provide, um, stability and predictability in the insurance markets. Um, and that, um, these uh, trucking companies, um, you know, are e e either can't, can't afford, um, some of these um, in, insurance premiums that uh, they're seeing because of um, these large jury awards um, coming from other states. It's worth noting that, that we, we really haven't seen these large jury awards in Iowa related to, um, you know, serious accidents involving, uh, involving trucks. A lot of these is being driven by these large awards that you're seeing on the coast, I think predominantly um, out east. Um, and, and so we'll hear from from Republicans in this debate that, um, again, um, you know, this is needed to protect Iowa's um, trucking industry and to help protect um, Iowa businesses that rely on that trucking industry. They're going to talk about how this is important for um, the supply chain. Um, but I think what's going to be different in this debate um, compared to what we just saw with the medical malpractice bill is. Um, is this this notion that um, that that we need to um, shield these trucking companies from direct negligence? I think that is going to be a, a, a sticking point for this. Um, the thought that um, you know you and your family could be in a minivan on the road um, and get hit by a semi, excuse me, semi-tractor trailer, um, 
you know, a family member could die, um, a child could be severely injured, um, permanently um, impaired, permanently disabled, you know, for, for the rest of, of their life. Um, and, um, and, and yet, you know, juries or, or excuse me, families um, would not be able to uh, file a civil suit, um, you know, going after that company for um, direct negligence in many cases um, with the, I believe, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at the language of the bill. Um, so again, it would bar people from suing trucking companies over an employee's harmful conduct due to direct negligence in hiring, training, supervising, or trusting the employee, excluding cases where the driver is under the influence of drugs, alcohol, or other substance. And I, and, and I think for a lot of people, including a lot of Republicans, that's probably going to be a step too far. Yeah, I, I think you've raised some, uh, the, the two biggest points there uh, about the, the, the subtle differences in this bill and the extra level of protections that it has. Um, and then also the fact uh, and, and it, something that House Minority Leader Jennifer Conference brought up um, Thursday at uh, their kind of weekly press conference was that uh, we haven't seen the, the so-called nuclear verdicts in, on these in Iowa Anyways, as you said, Tom, and, and she says she wonders if that may play into this too. The other thing that I, I'm wondering, just kind of, and I have no, this is just kind of based on my observations and not necessarily any intel, but if 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 any certain level of fatigue on the issue might, you know, they just went through this with medical malpractice. It, as we've said now multiple times, it was a very charged and, and, and contentious debate and, and uh, very strong feelings on both sides and from lobbyists and from the industries involved. And uh, are the, are they going to want to go through this again with another industry, you right. know, and, and, and then it's, you know, what industries next if we keep doing this. So I, I wonder if that plays into it too. Um, uh, so it's going to be really interesting. Uh, yeah. With, with, with medical malpractice, I mean, there was definitely this sense of, of, of urgency um, and um, you know, wanting to address that issue, as Caleb described, um, about um, difficulties in being able to um, attract and recruit um, pr providers um, in Iowa and, and feeling that there's this sense of urgency that we need to address this issue about um, healthcare access in rural areas. You know, whereas with this bill, with the trucking industry, I'm not sure that you really, you know, have that sense of urgency. And like you said, we already had kind of this long, uh, uh, drawn out fight um, with the medical malpractice bill. Again, do we want to do this again for a second year in a row? Um, I guess we'll see. It's um, it's it's worth noting, you know, that um, with an industry like this, if the industry is protected and the only possible chance you have at being like financially made whole is just going after the uh, individual uh, drivers, you're not going to get much out of that because, you know, my dad was a truck driver for a long time. They're not making a lot of money doing that. Um, and even though they're not making a lot of money doing that, the historically, the industry is the one placing drivers in dangerous situations by letting them drive longer than they're supposed to or all but forcing them to based on incentives and everything else. So there, there aren't going to be a lot right. of options for any kind of legal recourse then if, uh, if stuff like this passes for people. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be, and, and just to put a bow on both of these things, uh, it's looping the uh, medical malpractice debate uh, back in on this too. The one thing I, I, I feel like we should note too is, 
uh, the, the industries that are telling us, telling lawmakers um, that they they need these things because insurance rates are 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 continue to skyrocket. We have to take their word for that because um, nobody's uh, opening up the books and and, and showing us uh, the insurance rates. Um, that's apparently proprietary information, um, uh, and the, a number of us journalists at the state house have tried to get that information from various uh, places and sources uh, to no avail. So um, it's uh, you know always cite your sources, and as of now, it's the industry telling us what the industry is paying for insurance and nobody else. So. Uh, for what it's worth, as they uh, as they like to say. Um, moving on now to another and possibly even more emotionally charged topic. Uh, the debate over books and classroom curriculum in schools continued this week at the Iowa Capitol. House Republicans hosted a hearing that was, it sounds like to me anyways, because uh, I covered the former but not the latter, um, a de facto second Moms for Liberty event Uh uh, Caleb, you were the one who was on on, on the the hearing this week. Uh, how did that go? What was it like? And and was Moms for Liberty the uh, dominant presence at that uh, event? Yeah, I think that's definitely right. Um, there were five five parents who spoke at the hearing. Um, I, I'm pretty sure all, or or at least almost all of them, were from Moms for Liberty members of that conservative activist group. Um, and they uh, essentially told about how they had sought to challenge books or found books that their um, child was reading or was assigned uh, in their schools uh, that they found offensive or obscene and, you know, the processes they went through to uh, get those books, to try to get those books restricted. So um, they brought up several books, including Gender Queer, which is a common one that, that are brought up in these contexts, um, The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian and The Hate You Give. Um, they said the books, uh, you know, contain obscene content or content that's not appropriate for school-aged children. Um, they read several passages that contained um, profanity, sex, sexual abuse, um, different types of things. And, you know, it's, it's also worth noting, as often is the case in the, in, with these, almost all the books that they talked about included LGBTQ characters or people of color as kind of the main characters or subject matter. Um, and no policy was directly proposed at the meeting, but you based on what the, the parents said and, and what some of the Republicans were saying, um, there was kind of a, se a, a sense of it being suggested that schools or the state or, or some level, at some level should adopt some sort of rating system for school libraries where books are age restricted based on content. And uh, you, know, you need a parent permission to check out books over a certain rating. Um, Democrats at the hearing brought up, uh, you know, going back to a lot of the um, testimony was about uh, parents kind of trying to go through this process of, um, there's a word for it, but reconsideration of, of certain books at the school library. Um, and Democrats at the hearing brought up that, you know, that process uh, already exists, that the, the parents were arguing that it's uh, too, that it didn't work well, or they felt intimidated while trying to go through the process. Um, but Democrats said, you know, that process is in place. If you feel like there's something wrong, you know, you can go through the process. They argued that uh, trying to restrict books unilaterally would um, violate uh, students' rights to uh, free speech, uh, various things. And um, so that they, they kind of said, you know, we, uh, we don't have, we're not, we're not upholding the content of any of these specific books, but we want to make sure that 
you know, we don't restrict any rights or, or kind of restrict any information when we're uh, with whatever we're trying to do. Um, and, you know, as, as maybe as was mentioned at um, the Governor's Moms for Liberty event, um, she actually released a proposal this week uh, that she's proposing that if a school decides to restrict a book, uh, that it would be not taken out of every school library in the state, but restricted at every school library in the state. So you would need parents' permission to check that book out. So uh, that seems to be about the only action that's been proposed so far when it comes to this stuff. But uh, you know, we may see more down the line as as they keep this action going. Yeah. Um, and by the way, you mentioned the 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 groups, the speakers suggesting maybe they should have a rating system. As it just so happens, coincidentally, what good luck, uh, Moms for Liberty has their own uh, rating system, right, Caleb? Right, that's correct, yes. <laughs> um, some, so. Something I noticed uh, looking at the proposed uh, ratings, which run from uh, zero to five, I think um, extreme violence basically tailed off at a three. Um, so everything beyond that was sex-related, essentially, and, and so I'm wondering, like, was there any diving into why kids coming across extreme violence is somehow more acceptable? Because I, I distinctly remember anyone my age who grew up playing video games remembers prior campaigns to label like violent video games as the root cause of like societal collapse. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering, was there an, an explanation into to some of that thinking on that? And, and uh, to, to parse out the generations here on the podcast for the slightly older among us, we remember that discussion over music. Yep. The, and the parents, the rights. And the parents rights. Yep. Uh, yep. 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 So yeah. I, go ahead. Get another one. Um, I'm trying to think back to all the passages that we're pointing to or read from. I don't know if any was specifically, you know, objecting to violence. Um, it was pretty much all sexual content and um, depictions of racism in certain cases. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and to your point, Jared, Caleb and I were talking about this this week. And, and I have to give credit to a, a Twitter user who I don't now remember, but someone made the point uh, that I thought was noteworthy that uh, groups like this might want to be careful what they wish for with these rating systems because you slap a label on uh, a, a CD or a book or a video game that warns against potential whatever it is, and uh, <laughs> the interest level typically goes up amongst oh, yeah. I, young people. <laughs> I, I, um, I very, very distinctly remember a clip uh, from back in the day of um, – Ice-T, like, well before he was on Law & Order, and Ice-T got in a lot of trouble for doing songs like Cop Killer and having other, like, pretty, like, mm -hmm. violent and sexually explicit songs. He was talking about when they put the explicit labels on albums, and Ice-T, like, directly said in a clip I remember seeing that I can't think of a bigger gift for an artist than to tell people that this is dangerous, you need, you need to stay away from this. <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. Oh goodness! Uh, well, and 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 speaking of this topic, um, uh, former vice president and likely twenty twenty four presidential candidate Mike Pence is weighing in and directly to Iowans. Tom Beaumont of the Associated Press, uh, a great national politics reporter based here in Iowa, reported this week that a group formed by Pence and financed by his supporters has purchased an ad buy in Iowa 
that will decry school policies that are designed to protect and respect LGBTQ students, uh, the most visible, obviously, being the one in the Lenmar uh, School District that uh, we've all heard so much about. Um, so, so the VP, uh, former VP, getting in on this, Todd, is this is this going to be one of the major themes of the the presidential primary on the Republican side? Yeah, I mean, sure, why not? It's it's got all the right ingredients for a good old fashioned Republican red meat scaremonger. I mean, it's you know you've got LGBTQ uh, rights, uh, especially you know rights of transgender people. You've got kids. It's school. I mean, it's just public got all school. Of public school. Uh, I mean, it's just you know, it's it's got all the ingredients for TV ads and stump speech stem winders and and all of that stuff. So and, and you know, and they Republicans are convinced that it works. And, and, you know, they, you know, originally pointed to Glenn Youngkin who won the governorship in Virginia. And now, you know, Kim Reynolds ran on this, you know, platform of school choice. So you can pull your kids out of these liberal indoctrination facilities that public schools have become where they're changing genders and doing all sorts of stuff, according to, according to her teaching pornography uh, so yeah, and she was obviously, obviously very successful in her reelection and Republicans expanded their majorities here. So, uh, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, Mike Pence understands that. And I, you know, I think other Republicans will, will understand that too. So yeah, when, when the vice president comes with, with mother, his wife, they're, they're going to take on, they're going to take on these books and these, and these support policies. Yeah, and I—I I mean, I don't know. I, nothing should surprise me anymore. Um, it, it, it just—it somehow still did that. That—that's uh, uh, you know, in his first big ad buy here uh, of all the topics, that that's the the, the one that he uh, uh, jumped in on. Um, Jared, you're our uh, finger on the pulse of the most conservative section of Iowa, geographically uh, speaking. Is this, as Todd mentioned, is this the political red meat that? Uh, Iowa Republicans are craving, again, specifically in their presidential candidate. I mean, do do they think that the way to beat Joe Biden is to ban books in, in schools? Um, so I do wonder about this, because if everyone in a primary is offering this same red meat, then how satiating is it actually for people? Like what then become the real distinguishing factors? Um, I, I do think that talking about limiting like what books kids can read or keeping LGBTQ issues out of classrooms are, are definitely going to be positions that are the price of entry for the Republican primary. I've definitely seen that just based on what, what people have talked about around here. Um, you know, nationally, Trump started talking about this more. Ron DeSantis talks about this stuff a lot. Um, we're obviously talking about it now with um, Republicans in Iowa. But I mean, we did see some of this already emphasized nationwide in 2022, and the culture war stuff didn't fully resonate with people who weren't already bought in. You can find that in a number of states that were more swingy and weren't like an Iowa or a Florida or, or some of those places like that. Um, so I, I don't know how well this will work just based on what we've seen in the recent past, how well it'll work outside of the primary sphere it's kind of a, a litmus test and i mean you know if they're running campaigns to win iowa then i think it's an issue in iowa that seems 
seems to matter more than it does any place else. And if you look at the history of the caucuses, I mean, it's those social evangelical conservatives that often deliver victory to whoever they're you know, their chosen leader is. I mean, we saw Mike Huckabee win the caucuses and Rick Santorum win the caucuses, Ted, although it was a, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. I mean, it was for, for Rick, it was a little late. It's a couple of weeks later <laughs> that we found out he won. But I mean, that, that, those voters that are the most riled up about about books and, and, and you know, curriculum and all of that are going to be the ones that probably decide who wins. Now, I mean, you know, if you if we have a large field of candidates, which is entirely possible as a sort of as Donald Trump sort of kind of seems to be fading out, uh, you know, that that could change things. There'll, there'll probably be some candidates from another part of the Republican Party spectrum that that, uh, you know, won't be as, as, as hot on that issue. But uh, those are also the candidates that are probably going to be campaigning someplace else where they have a chance of winning. Whereas, I mean, you know, a, a, the further right you are right now in Iowa, probably the, the better off you are in the caucuses. We'll have to see if Perry Johnson addresses it in his Super Bowl ad. I, I was going to mention <laughs> that. Yeah, we've got uh, Super Bowl ads running in uh, uh, 2024 <laughs> ads running in Iowa during the Super Bowl. Everyone's favorite yeah. Michigan businessman, Perry Johnson. That's right. Thank you for uh, adding that biographical context uh, for the <laughs> just one or two people who may not have heard of Perry. Is Johnson. he going to be? Is he going to be the Jim Gilmore of this caucus race? Maybe or he's going to be the uh, the Lincoln Chafee. Uh, that was Lincoln, the one I was the Lincoln, the Lincoln Chafee. The uh, who was the who was the guy from Mike? Was it Mike Gravel? The Mike Gravel from, from Alaska. Alaska. Yeah, yep. yeah. yeah. They did the, the ad where he just walks up and threw the huge boulder into the into the river. Yeah. One of the greatest political ads ever made. <laughs> right up there with the Daisy ad, you know, yes. the nuclear explosion. Fantastic. <laughs> now, if he'd All thrown right. the rock in and there was a nuclear explosion, that it would have been the best ad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, obviously plenty to keep an eye on. And speaking of keeping an eye on, we are um, without uh, our esteemed colleague Sarah Watson this week because she's hanging out with Carrie Lake over in Bettendorf. So uh, hopefully Sarah's available next week and, and we'll talk about that and so much more. Um, never a shortage of topics uh, uh, for the On Iowa Politics podcast. That's it uh, for this edition. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, tell your friends. If you didn't, keep that to yourself. <laughs> uh, you can <laughs> subscribe to us on streaming audio services like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. And now that you listen to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team, plus history lessons on burnt mac and cheese and capital evacuations all in the newsletter. You can subscribe to that on Iowa Politics newsletter at our website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Someday we should, maybe uh, if the guy that uh, talks really fast and he played the Transformer character, John Machida, is that his name? Yep. And he used to do ads. Maybe he's on Cameo, and we can get him to read this last bit uh, for us at every section, almost like the small print of, of an ad. <laughs> or maybe maybe Buster Rhymes can, can oh, there you go. come in there and, you go. And, and take over that.
<laughs> All right. Lojo Russo will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Caleb, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Steven, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. Go cheese. <laughs>
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.